Thank you for joining us for this message from Cornerstone Community Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. And now let's join our guest speaker. Well, I want to welcome you guys to a, a series that we're going to be doing. We do this every once in a while in the church. We, um, we really just kind of uh, weekly make sure that we're asking God, Lord, what are you speaking to us, our group, our family, our city, so that we can take direction every single week and just kind of pour that back into you guys? But then every once in a while, when we set the uh, calendar up in our speaking and what we do on Sunday, um, there is a time in which we just feel like, hey, let's just take one book because there's something in there. There's something urgent. There's, there's really a premise in there that we want to get out and teach and extract and make sure that we're all on the same page. And so uh, last week, right after Easter, we started First uh, John. First John. Did you guys enjoy last week if you guys were here? So we opened up the book of First uh, John. Now, if you guys are uh, new to the Bible idea, new to church, then um, uh, it's the New Testament. And then you travel all the way back to the Revelation. And then just go back a little bit. There's three letters that John actually wrote himself, First, Second, and Third John. Also, coordination to the same author that wrote the Gospel of John. Same guy, apostles, been following Jesus for about 60-some years. We traveled a little bit back and just kind of gave you some context last week. So now we're just going to dive right in. You guys ready? We're going to dive right in. So if you guys have, um, I'm, going to, I'm going to move this over here so that we can, um, is that right? Is that good? Perfect. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> if you have a Bible, then grab it. First John, we're going to be in the sections 5 through 10. If you don't have one, I want to, I want to show you something real quick. It's going, to be right, it's going to be right here in a second. There it is. Um, so if you don't have one, this is going to be it. Um, so let's travel all the way back to verse 1. So if you weren't here, let's go all the way back to verse 1 and just kind of give you guys some uh, context. This is what we traveled through last week. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Verse 2, the life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you eternal life, which was with the Father it was made manifest, that's obvious, to us. Verse 3, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, that you also may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and the Son, Jesus Christ. And we're writing these things, John says, so that your joy may be complete. That was uh, last week. Let's jump into this week, but I'm not going to need your help. Go ahead and go to verse 5. We'll start it off there. And uh, what, I need you, uh, what I need you to do is actually read this with me. Uh, there's about uh, five verses, five through ten. I want you to read it out with me. The proclamation of God's word is so important. The proclamation of God's word is actually what allows us to have faith. It's the hearing of the word of Christ that actually elevates faith. Amen? It's the hearing of the word. So don't just listen. Don't let somebody else speak it. Just read it. Don't, don't try to get your enunciation voice. Just read it so you can actually just get it deep in your soul. Amen? So let's read this out together up on the screen. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Verse seven. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive 
our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. And that's good stuff. That's good stuff. I like that. A little bit of unity in the house. So when we travel through this, as you guys read this, I want to now read it all the way through 5 through 10 and just give you a, a really quick commentary on each one of these verses. So if you keep that up there, we're going to go through this pretty quickly, and then we're going to dive in a little bit further to take this particular context, 5 through 10, from a 30,000-foot view and, and kind of see what John's trying to say thematically. Okay, so if, you, um, if you're ready to take notes, there's going to be a lot in here for you, so grab all the goodness that you can. I can say this because this isn't really my message. It's John, so it's amazing. Verse 5, this is the message we have heard from him. We proclaim to you that God is light. This first sentence right here in this particular paragraph sets John up to say, I'm going to explain everything after this. Verse 6 through 10 is actually an explanation of verse 5. You need to know what I'm doing in verse 5 so that you can actually understand the next few verses. And this is what he says, God is light. That's the premise of here. He's making a metaphor, a correlation, a connection between the familiar and the unfamiliar. And, and you need to know this because it's like the principal matter. Okay, you can't skip on and be like, okay, the focus is verse like 9 or 10. It's not. Verse 9 or 10 is an aftermath. It's a byproduct of actually understanding and unpacking verse 5 right here. God is light. And in him there is no darkness at all. I'll explain that here in a little bit. But just to get that, that's the, that's the main subject, verse 5, and then he explains the rest of it. Verse 6, if we say we have fellowship with him. Now that word fellowship is, um, I don't know, I'm just going to say it. It's sort of Christianese. I mean, I don't know that you walk out of these walls and say, hey, what are you doing on Friday night? You want to have some fellowship? <laughs> you know, that's just not a word that we use. So um, in our church, we actually use community. It's the idea of relationships. Community is something that we all know, but we actually need to be intentional about. Now, this particular word is, is uh, in the Greek, is called koinonia. And it's a fellowship, it's a community, it's a relationship that's a give and take. And it's uh, beneficial that you, that you know what that is so that you can understand the idea that what he's trying to unpack. He's saying if you have a relationship with God in which you give and you take, you also have a relationship, community, deep-centered relationship with one another in which you give and also receive. Come on, you listening to this? Because there's a difference between, I know some of us have some relationships in which we just take. 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 And it's easy for us to do that. And expect more of that. That's, that's my spouse. That's what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to receive encouragement. But you're also supposed to make a lot of deposits in your spouse too. And at the same time, we have to know that you can't have some good friends in the recipient version if you're not a good friend so that you can actually give that out, showing up in people's lives, encouraging them, serving them, and loving on them. And that's one of the reasons why he says fellowship, this word, it's, it's really important. Koinonia is a two-sided relationship. It's um, praying to God, but it's also listening. Now, we're good with like, okay, you know my complaints, you know what I'm going through, God, I'm going to let you have it, I'm angry with you today. But when was it just the last time you just stopped and said, well, what did he say about that? And you're like, well, you know, like, well, um, you know, uh, I, I don't know. <laughs> That's probably because we don't stop and listen. God wants that two-sided relationship, just like our spouse, our best friends, our classmates, and everybody else wants the two-sided relationship. We want to make sure that it's a give and take. Verse 7, 
If we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with him. Now, check this first phrase out in verse 7. If we walk in the light, what does it look like? I just want to ask a question. I think you'll know where I'm going. What does it look like, the difference between walking at noon in August, walking at noon, anywhere, walking at noon, and walking at midnight, deep in the forest? What's the difference between walking at midnight and walking at noon? There's a big difference between you're probably not going to walk at midnight. You're going to camp out. I'm going to sit down. I don't want to stumble. I don't want to get hurt. I don't want to, honestly, I don't want to walk off a cliff. So whatever it is, you have to, you have to know the difference. He says, if you walk in the light, so what's the question? Then there's also a contrast of walking in the darkness, pitch black at midnight or during the noonday. I'm going to make a correlation here in a minute about this correlation that he's making light and, and darkness. But let me just, just put that out there. He says this, if we walk in the light, as Jesus is in the light, as he has walked, we have fellowship with, with who? Him? We have fellowship with God. No, no, no. He says we have fellowship with one another. If we, if we do as he did, if we follow his suits, then we actually have great relationships with one another. See how that works? It, he's talking about the same relationship that you have with God also correlates and connects to your relationship with one another. He says you can't separate the two. We've talked about that before, but I just, I probably need to beat that so many times because sometimes we just separate. We, we contextualize. We come to church and we say, okay, I'm working on my relationship with God, but later on, maybe I'll go to marriage counseling. Well, guess what? If you dig into the word and you go to church and you find out more about your relationship with God, it is going to help your marriage because they're two sides to the same coin. Your relationship with one another is directly correlated to your relationship with God. Your relationship with God is directly correlated to your relationship with one another. That's what First John, the entire five chapters, is about. So verse 8 and verse 9 and verse 10, we're going to get into a, a little bit deeper, so I won't give any commentary about that. <clears throat> Let me stretch back. 30,000 foot view. We just kind of gave a little bit of commentary to break down the premise of verse 5. Now when you look at 5 through 10 as a whole... John's making this correlation, which I said is right from the beginning. God is light. He, he, he takes these two ideas, one in which you're familiar with, light. One in which you're not so familiar with, God. Now, you could be an amazing, mature, deep-seated Christian, super spiritual, holier than thou, like you're close to Jesus, but you still don't know that much about God, and you just need to admit it. All right, because God is a whole lot bigger than you make him out to be. If you think God is this big, you all of a sudden just boxed him in and you limited him. What he's saying is God is light. Let me tell you something. He's like, there's a metaphor, there's a connection, there's a correlation. Light is something that you're familiar with. I want to explain what light is so that I can bridge the gap so that I can explain with what you are not so familiar with is there's another context about who God is. Now, I want you to also know that whenever he goes through these, he talks about light and darkness. Now, he doesn't say light versus darkness. Because the difference is God has never had a rival. All right? Sometimes when we look at this, we say, well, well, God and Satan are like going at it. They're, they've never been going at it. Satan has been distributed because of man's ignorance way back in the day. Now, if you think you're going to get up to heaven and, and just punch Adam, 
don't because you and I would have done the same thing, you know? So just look in the mirror and be like, you're the, anyway. So whenever you get to this context, we need to realize that God is on a shelf. He's on a level. He's on a pyramid. He's on a place all his own. There are other gods. Yes, there is darkness. Yes, there is Satan. Yes, there is demonic. But they don't touch the ideas of who God is. He is already victorious. He is big. He is powerful. He is majestic. He is the God of the Bible in the earth, in the heaven. And he's sovereign over all things. And nothing is ever going to stop that. So when you look at this, you have to know it's light and darkness. Now, let me just make a real quick correlation. If you were to walk into a dark room, black, just dark room, you were to think, hey, where's the light switch so that you can, you can turn the light on so that light would actually show up. Now, what, I, what I'm correlating is um, light versus darkness. Whenever you walk in, before, light wasn't there. Correct? It wasn't there. And then you flipped on the light and it was there. That's not what John's talking about. That is not the premise of the Bible. Here's the premise of the Bible. You need to know the definition of darkness, which is this word uh, skotia in the Greek. Darkness and sin, shame, failure, any division that we have, that's darkness. Just chalk that up. This is what he says. Light is ever present like at noon. Light is always here. Light just is. Have you ever seen the sun go out? No. It's been blocked. That's how we got the, that. See, you see what I'm saying? It's been blocked. Darkness is literally just a wall. The word scotia is actually just a wall. It's a wall that just barriers. It breaks. It actually just eliminates light from coming in. But it's not the absence of light. Come on, you catching this? This is, this is like at noon when it's hot outside in August. What do you do? You catch an umbrella so that you can have the idea that this is Scotia. That is darkness. You have a little bit of shade amidst a whole bunch of light. God is always present. He always has been, always will be. But listen, church, can I tell you, you and I are the one that is setting walls up in our life and it's so bad. We're setting walls up in our relationships with one another. We're setting walls up so that there's actually darkness in our souls, in our light, in our relationship. It's not the presence of outright evil where God's not there. God is there, but you and I, or life in general, hurts, pains, everything else, have actually set up walls so that the light trying to penetrate to come in, the light that's trying to emulate, the light that's trying to invade our life is just being blocked by walls. God wants to tear those walls down. So, so when we look at this, it's easy to get excited. <laughs> but, but when we look at this, you, you have to know the, the correlation, the connection that John's making. Light and darkness. Something that you're familiar with so that you can explain that which we may not be familiar with. When we look at this particular idea, um, it, it bids us well to go through some scripture really, really quickly and actually just practically lay out what is light, what does that look like practically, and what is darkness. So let me just give you a few. Let's start with the good one, light. God is light. So anywhere God is present, there's light. That's the, that's the connection. Have you ever heard the phrase... Um, Somebody comes into your office or maybe a project at work or maybe at home and, and somebody asks you the question, hey, um, can you shed some light on this for me? Have you ever heard that phrase? Can you shed some light on this? What they're asking you to do is actually tell you some clarification. They're asking you to, hey, will you tell me what's right? That 
is inside of Scripture. Light is God's presence. God is also truth. He is right. He is grace. He is truth. Not relative, but absolute truth with a capital T, never changing, faithful, just as his character. So if you go ahead and put those up there, light is goodness. It's God's grace. It's his truth. These are some of the practical ideas that we can actually look at. Can you guys put those up there? Light is yeah, God's love. It is his uh, grace. It's his goodness. It's his truth. Now, this is not an exhaustive list, but I just kind of want to give you some highlights because these encompass a whole lot. Whenever God's presence is there, you see good stuff there. Whenever Moses wanted uh, God's glory to come by, he goes, well, you're not ready for my glory, <laughs> but I will show you my backside, and, and what you will see is my goodness, my goodness in the land of the living. Surely that will follow you all the days of your life. Goodness, God's presence, his light is there. Now, <clears throat> Also, the idea practically of darkness, if you can put those up there, just a few practical darkness ideas that we unfortunately hold. That word scotia, which I want you to think about, is a wall. The darkness is just a wall. It blocks the light. It doesn't actually just get rid of it. It just blocks the light temporarily. Things like unforgiveness. Ah, that's a big one. You want walls up in your relationships? Just don't forgive people. You're going you're gonna to block God out of that relationship. And out of your life, that area of your soul for a long time. So if you're thinking of somebody right now that you're like, yeah, I totally have unforgiveness. Yeah, totally deal with that right now. Like just text them. Just don't even listen to me. You can tune out right now. This is more important. Get your phone. Hey, we need to meet like right now. Or you can just say, hey, remember that thing that I've been holding on to? And they're like, oh, absolutely. I forgive you. I forgive you. I forgive you. Powerful. Breaks down walls. See to it that when that wall comes down, that God's goodness and his truth and his love doesn't invade that relationship. There's going to be freedom of your soul, freedom of your heart to be like, I can actually love you again because I forgive you. The other one is a hurt. Almost every single sin in our life is because we have some sort of a, a hurt that hasn't been healed. And sometimes you don't want it to be healed. No, no, I'm holding on to this one. Why? Why? That would be like you getting a broken leg and be like, no, no, just put a Band-Aid on it. I'm holding on to this one. But good choice. That's way, to, way to let him have it, you know? It's like a cancer that, that just invades you. It's like a gasoline that you want to put on the fire that's only going to put you in flames. I'm not really sure. But biblically, that's what we see it as. We're like, no, I'm holding a grudge. And everyone's like, yeah, you should. He didn't treat you very well. Yes, but have you looked at the cross lately? They didn't treat him very well, and that's where all that stuff went. So don't punish that person or yourself. That's already been forgiven, complete, and finished. So just say, I forgive you. That hurt is being left over. My broken leg is going to be healed in Jesus' name because he says it is possible. Amen. Bitterness is another one. Bitterness. It, there's, a, there's roots in our lives. So you just got to cut them out. And there's fruits, the byproduct of bitterness that comes out too. You don't even have to tell people. You're just bitter at them. You're like, I know. Because it's the way, it's your countenance. It's your demeanor. Hey, what are you, like, what are you doing here? Well, thanks. Good to see you too. You know, like, where was that? You can just see it in the, in the conversation. So just let go of bitterness. Resentment is another darkness. It's another wall. Resentment and pain. Pain is a little bit uh, similar to hurt, but it's just more prevalent. 
if I had something going on with my knee and uh, you came up and you poked it and, and, um, and I said, gosh, that hurts. Please stop doing that. The same thing that happens in your life. Can I ask you about a question in which you say, no, 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 that hurts. That's off limits. Don't touch that. Hey, what about this? No, no, no. My mom and dad don't want to talk about that. What area of your life when people poke it, it hurts and you close down? That's a wall. Stop shutting the wall down and let God in. God, you were there in that circumstance. You were there in that situation. You didn't allow it, but you were sovereign over it and you want to heal it. So God, I'm going to break down the wall and that pain that I just set up to be blocked by everybody else is now you have access to it so that I can actually walk out in some freedom in Jesus' name. Same ideas as hidden areas, hidden areas like sin or just lies, outright lies. You've been lying for way too long. You've just been keeping that thing a secret because you, you think, well, I'm just going to tuck that away and it's only going to be for me. It's not only for you. You tuck it away and you hide it, but it's actually affecting other people. It's affecting your relationship with God. It's affecting your worship. It's affecting your prayer. It's affecting your, your ability to get into the word. I'm not saying it's affecting your ability to be saved. It's not. That's already done. You put your faith in Jesus and you don't have to work for that. But when you work out relationship, hidden areas are really going to allow some walls to be put up. Amen? <clears throat> Five through ten. Those are just some practicals. Five through ten in John's mind just gets this paragraph, this idea going. Let me just uh, make a big difference, John says, between Jesus and religion. Religion is all about what you do. It's all about making sure that you show up. Hey, I need you to be at church. Why? Because you feel guilty for not here. Jesus isn't interested in that. Jesus is interested in your heart. And that's why he probes. That's why he teaches. That's why he talks about the heart of the matter. That's why the entire New Testament is focused right on your heart. Because he says, I want your heart because when I have that, I actually have access to your hands. And then I know when I have your heart, you want to show up to worship because it's not about you. And you're not consuming the matter like, well, what am I going to add to the message today? I hope that they play my song. I hope they turn the, the, the music down. I hope they turn it up. I hope there's less lights, more lights. I've got an opinion about everything because it's about me. And once they get my church right, I'll show up. Well, when you have that mentality, there's, there's still areas of our heart. There's still walls that we've put up to say, well, this is, this is how I roll. This is how I ride. This is how I live life. And when we have that access, we don't let anybody else in, and we have a rigid religious idea of who God is. Jesus says, if you break that wall down and you let me come in and you let me have access to it, then you're going to see a life full of freedom. Freedom. Because who the Son sets free, you will be free indeed. I promise you that. And so, so the difference between what John's trying to write here is, is I want you to get into the right thinking. Right thinking sets you free to right living. If you're, if you're taking notes, write this down. Right thinking, this is a renewing of your mind. This isn't something that you and I do. It's not logic. It's not data. It's not getting the right answers on the test. That's not it. It's actually viewing God and viewing one another, viewing Scripture, viewing life the way God does. How many of you know that God actually looks at you and he looks at situations very differently than you do? It's viewing things properly. Right thinking sets you free to live rightly. And that is the righteousness of God. You don't have to work for that. Religion actually, if you put that back up, just leave that up for a second. Religion actually flips this. 
They says, um, you need to live right. You need to do this. Don't do that. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do that. Make sure you show up here. Make sure you serve here. Make sure you're in this. Make sure you're in that because it's about doing. It's about showing up. It's about the perception. In fact, why don't you just wear a robe because that's what religious people do. Wear a robe all the way around and make sure when you're out in the streets, people hear your amazing, eloquent prayers. Make sure they hear that. And that's exactly who Jesus was talking about, right living. And then they said, from right living, that'll get you, you know, actually set free. That'll renew your mind. That'll get you saved. That's, that's religion. Jesus says, no, no. Let me renew your mind. Let me actually start with your heart. Let me get inside of your soul so that you can serve in a right motive. You can give with a cheerful heart. You can forgive freely. You can give mercy because you recognize you've received mercy. You can give grace in abundance because you've accepted it freely. You know what love is with one another because you've seen the love of God come in your life. That's right thinking. I want to I view this right. I don't have to do, you don't have to do anything to be saved. Being saved is a, is a faith. You believe in Jesus? He's not here. He's unseen. He's invisible. He's, he's a, he's a departure right now. God, I just believe in you. You're in the right hand. You're praying for him. I believe that. I believe your story is true. I don't have to be right there to touch you like Thomas did. At the same time, faith in your son is going to set me free to live right here and for eternity. And that actually allows us to have relationship with God and free relationships with one another. So that we can actually use our hands. We can, we can serve people. We can encourage them. Verse 8. Verse 8. If you put that, put that up there, let me, let me just read it out here. <clears throat> if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Now, we're probably not going to go around being like, yeah, I don't, I don't have any sin. Like anybody's going to ask you, Gary, do you have any sin? You're like, no, I'm good. Cameron, do you have any sin? No, no. Last time I checked, I'm, I'm good. We, we wouldn't go around saying, I don't, I don't have sin. But we do say that we don't have sin by actually not confessing it to God. We do say we don't have sin when we don't show up to church and say, God, I need you. We do say that we don't have sin when we don't get into the word to say, God, I want your word in me because my words left alone are dangerous. We do say that we don't have sin by not getting into the word to say, God, I want to know your will and stop living my will. We do say that we don't have sin when we actually don't give God access to any conviction. If you've never been convicted of a sin that you know was wrong, that you're in dangerous territory of just walking in this like lukewarm idea. Uh, I don't know. I guess I'll go to church if it's good for me. If it's convenient, I guess I'll read the word. I guess I'll pray a little bit. No, no. See, the idea in here is there is such a standard for you to live out that it's absolutely impossible for you to do it. And the only person who did is Jesus. So when you open up this Bible, you realize, man, God, you are so good to me. I can't accomplish any of this stuff. I can't even love you wholeheartedly. I can't love my wife wholeheartedly. And she's amazing. I need your grace to come in. That's confession of sin. God, I can't do this life without you. I don't want to do this life without you. I want to walk the way you did with purpose, with conviction, with love and grace. And my eyes set on flint for the purpose of what you called me to do. Even though it suffers, even though there's going to be affliction, even though there's going to be dark times and hardships and valleys, I'm going to walk as if you walked completely dependent on you. 
not independent on my own lifestyle. The ones who don't pray are just the ones who realize, ah, I got this. I don't have to, I don't, I'm good. I'm good. You don't pray much, you just feel like you're your own God. If you don't pray much, you feel like you are your own God. And the God in heaven, the God that created you, is a little bit smaller than you are. And whenever you need him, you'll call on him. But that's not at all the God of the Bible. He says, I created you out of love. Out of love. And it's not an obligation to have a relationship with me, God says. I want my affection for you to turn your affection for me. And my symbol is by sending my son Jesus to live the life, to die to death, to be raised again, so that you and I can be in right relationship each and every day. Verse 9. Banking on verse 8. If we confess our sin. So we, we just said, hey, if we don't have sin, yeah, we realize that we wouldn't outright say that if we don't have sin. But So if we do, if we've established that, then we can go on to verse 9. Verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now let me bring this back around. This is not saying that if you confess, then you are forgiven. It's saying you already are forgiven. So why not just confess your sin? Confess your sin because you're forgiven. Jesus has already taken it. Now remember what darkness is. Remember what confession is. There are areas of your life that are, that are just walls that you want to be broken down. And so I want you to think about this. He's saying, hey, confess your sins. Why? Because you're already forgiven and you're already made right with God. But when you confess your sins, you'll actually see that wall go down and you'll see the cleansing take place and you'll see the right relationship being lived out. And so the walls will be taken down because you've already been forgiven. So why not just confess? Confession in the Greek is actually, uh, it's a word called agreement. You're agreeing that this dark place is not you. You're agreeing that what you watch in private that is destroying your marriage is not a part of you. You're agreeing by confessing to God that unforgiveness is not who you are. So don't hold on to it. You're agreeing that bitterness is not a part of you, so just confess it. You're agreeing that anger isn't a part of you, so just confess it. Because you're already forgiven and already made right. Why not just confess and be free? Jesus says, I've already done the work. All I want you to do is participate. The light is on. You're the one that might be setting dark walls. And all I want to do is smash them down. So just confess. Live freely. Live openly. Live as you were called to be. Because right now you're bound up like in a prison and it's, it's killing you. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this message from Cornerstone Community Church. We are located in Lynchburg, Virginia at 525 Old Graves Mill Road. You can find us online at cornerstonelynchburg.com, contact us by email, cornerstonecom at comcast.net, or call us at 434-847-4796. We pray the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. 
The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace.